All right, what's up, Story Geeks? Welcome to the channel today. Welcome to our live video today. If you are joining us on the podcast in a few days, welcome as well. My name is Tim Wozni. Uh, I am afraid of the space spiders that we saw this week. Yes, there will be spoilers. Uh, we're going to be talking about all the Easter eggs that we have seen in the first and second seasons of The Mandalorian and looking a whole lot at the Easter eggs that we've seen in the first two episodes of this season. Um, also, welcome to the show today, Nick, the Frog Eggy, <laughs> Rebel Scum Natalie, and Scylla, the Jedi Apprentice. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. Hi. Hi. Hello. So, just hot first take, what did all of you guys think of the first two episodes so far? I thought they were fun. Uh, I really liked the first episode. Um it uh, felt like it was a little weird to have kind of a filler episode for the second one, but it was a fun filler episode. Um, so I really enjoyed uh, both of them. And so I'm hoping that uh, next week on episode three, it's going to start kicking off a really, really awesome storyline. Definitely agree with episode two. It was odd to get such an early filler episode, uh, but there were so many elements of it that I loved. You judging by my name should know I will get really happy anytime I see X-Wings pop up. So <laughs> yeah. make my day. Um, mm. But uh, episode one just recaptured my wonder for the show right away. I loved it so much. Uh, again, I think uh, to echo everyone's sentiments, uh, I really enjoyed the first episode. That was really well done. The second one is a bit filler, but nothing that I despise despite not really liking spiders. So that <laughs> that that point I was like, eh. Um, I do think it's interesting though, and I don't know if it could be out of left field, but both of both episodes feel like B movie, like B horror movies, like in mm -hmm. the sense of like you basically have tremors in the first episode, mm -hmm. and then you have giant spiders in the second. So I thought that was a little interesting, but I'm hoping we get into the full story mode. Um, on episode three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I echo the same sort of thoughts that it was, it felt a little weird that mm -hmm. the second episode felt a little fillery, but um, at the same time, and I may be uh, a little alone in this, I really enjoyed some of the horror elements that were brought into mm -hmm. Rise of Skywalker. And so to see uh, some more mm -hmm. of those horror elements brought back in Mandalorian was a lot of fun. Um, and I think a welcome addition to different parts of the Star Wars universe. So mm -hmm. while I agree that it was a bit of a, I was a little bummed that it was filler and that it felt very short and it was short mm -hmm. the first episode. Mm -hmm. uh, I still had a lot of fun with it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The spiders are very, very scary <laughs> and disgusting and everything of that um as we before we dive into everything else thank you again everybody for listening in uh the story geeks youtube channel is produced by the reclamation society so be sure that you subscribe for more in-depth perspectives on geek content and this is your last spoiler warning from here on out we are just full speed straight into the spoilers diving in through all the good details so if you haven't seen the first two episodes and want to now is your chance to get away um just setting the sort of the the ground floor area, what were some of your guys' favorite moments, Easter eggs, references to other Star Wars uh, memorabilia in the first season? I think my favorite one in the first season 
uh, is the first time we see the Mandalorian go into uh, the Mos Eisley Cantina, and all the human workers are replaced with droids. Uh, you know, mm. because we remember from A New Hope, they said they don't like droids there. We don't like yeah. their kind. And to see them years later replaced by droids is just a hilarious and awesome. And you get to see that awesome set again, you know, not as full as it used to be, but um, I, I like little callbacks like that. It's kind of the stuff that I love in Star Wars, you know, extended universe programming and also in like Rebels and Clone Wars is when you can kind of not full on like really wink at the audience, but like, if you know, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, um, I, I love that kind of stuff. I think my favorite is the uh, dark saber, like that was thrown at us yeah. at the very end, but it's the first time we've seen like such a connection to the animated series. Yeah. And I think that's where I just got so excited and so thrilled that like they were even more so connecting to them and it was not expected at all. But mm. I know that it means that we're going to get a little more in touch with the Mandalorian culture and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out exactly what it is because we've kind of gotten convoluted sense of yeah. what Mandalorian culture is across the entire trilogy um, as well as like the uncanonization of the extended universe and recovering mm -hmm. that. So the dark saber I know, and I hope is going to be like a very vital part of all that. Right. Mm -hmm. I like the dark saber a lot. And also this is super random, but I really like the, you see the Imperial troop transporter <laughs> in that last yeah. episode in season um, one, uh, just cause I know it was in rogue one that it wasn't officially canon before but then they made it a toy which i'm mm -hmm. a big collector nerd so then seeing that they basically made something and put it in you know the shows for that purpose are in the canon was pretty cool to see justin weaver uh commented mm -hmm. a similar thought on facebook and yes that um seeing mm -hmm. that from the old toy that it was mm -hmm. put yeah. into rebels and then put mm -hmm. into real physical, physical yeah tangible yeah. objects in uh in mandalorian was really special and kind of neat that um from a from both dave filoni and from um john favreau just at that there's a dedication in that mm. to the entire picture including all the little niche references mm -hmm. um even the in the empire strikes back the guy that's running with the ice cream maker yeah you know they make and now they make canon. that yeah, and they make that the Beskar like holder. I think they even had it in episode one of this season of Mandalorian. Yes, yeah. uh, where he grabs it off the back of the mining yeah. guild speeder and full of crystals and and books it out into the desert. Yeah. Um, I really, really enjoyed uh, the dark saber, especially as mm. a uh, rebels and clone wars fan the progression of of the mandalorians through those two uh those two series and then especially revolving around the dark saber was really exciting to see at the end of episode eight um mm -hmm. season one and just like oh my gosh i kind of know where this is going and just that's i think um sort of the the uh one of the like the peak ways that these easter eggs work throughout mandalorian is just um either as references for context or as or as foreshadowing elements that 
as you said, Nick, if you know, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you're you're in it and you're you're there. I also really loved uh, the moment where the monkey lizard is watching the other monkey lizard get roasted, and it's just just <laughs> that little bit of Jabba's palace that's carried over to this yeah. small town, and just just the horror and the just sort of the one of those gruesome <laughs> moments that you're like, I'm a little surprised that's in there, but also yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, what's great um, is the the respect that John Favreau uh, has for what what came before. You know, um, that's what I feel like makes great uh, for uh, in these Star Wars shows and. Um, extended universe books that are still canon uh, is taking what came before with like great respect and just adding on to it um, is, is just a cool thing. Cause then that's where you can get little, little nods that, you know, where you see the ice cream maker from yeah. Empire Strikes Back and things like that. And, um, but also important story landmarks like mm -hmm. the dark saber is a very important uh, landmark, uh, important object in uh, Rebels, because um, the the last time you see it is at a very pivotal moment in Rebels, uh, having it get passed on to seemingly the rightful place, and to see it show up later in somebody else somebody else's hands is like, well, what happened? <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's that that interconnectivity. Uh, between shows and stuff, you know, it's not like they go, oh, well, you know, we just go off the movies, you know, because even even Marvel has its interconnected universe, but it's like they seem to only like to reference each other through film and they go, well, the TV show is just kind of the TV show. For yeah. now. and Yeah, for now. <laughs> but I feel like it's really great that in Star Wars, we're getting that uh, respect of like of other things that came before and bringing it along mm -hmm. and um, adding new things to it and moving forward. It's just and pretty, I, pretty great. I think that with, with the respect of all the material, I think it attracts, you know, diehards and maybe new fans alike. I would mm -hmm. say I'm a star Wars novice compared to a lot of people, but I think this show has like intrigued me so much along with all the movies that, you know, it keeps wanting you to research more or look into it more, which you know, that's hard for a show to do that has such a storied history to, you know, attract mm. people in that way. Right. There's uh, sort of on the, along the lines of the Darksaber for me in the first season, and I did not put this together until I was doing some extra research this morning. Uh, Dr. Pershing in the first season has a patch on his mm. sleeve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That patch is the uh, the cloning facilities on Camino's logo. And I did not mm. know that until this morning. And so that was one of those moments, like with the Darksaber, where there's, okay, what's happened? There's a huge chunk of time that needs mm -hmm. to be to be filled in. And I forget what Din Djarin calls it in Mando, where Mandalore falls. Um mm -hmm. And presumably that's where uh, Moff Gideon gets Darksaber from. But the whole detail and this minute connection to the cloning facilities, I'm really hoping is one of those that, like the Darksaber, is going to come a little bit more full circle and give us mm -hmm. a, a bigger picture of 
the broader strokes of of the galactic civil war mm -hmm. yeah there's some things going on like we think we've got the in-between of each movie and uh, yeah. i think it's cool that in mandalorian is showing oh there's a little more that you didn't know about mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's awesome and i think that's like i say i think from as a narrative device that's where mm -hmm. the easter eggs are at their strongest is when they're mm -hmm. when there's hinting at what those gaps might be um so what looking we're only two episodes into this second season of mandalorian but what were some of your favorite easter eggs so far what were yeah what were what were the ones that really really stuck out to you made you smile uh made you laugh what worked well in the easter eggs for you our fives appearance was one that made me <laughs> immediately giddy uh, more so because uh, the book, from a certain point of view, is is one of the most like delightful reads that you could ever read because it gives you these little niche, minute stories to mm. the everyday background characters mm. that may only pop up. And R5 is one of them. And um, if you've read the book, you'd know that there is a lot more to him than just coincidentally popping a motivator right before he's about to get sold and se uh, separate <laughs> through you know, and R2 from one another. And to see that he like survives everything from the attack on his Ewok barge to the entire war. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> like, delightfully happy that like the small little kind acts can come back to you in really big favors by, you know, living a oh, yeah. So there he is. And yeah, there we do have a photo of our five <laughs> and our two all spending some time together with some Jawas. <laughs> and poor R2 goes off and does some fantastic things. Um, <laughs> And used to do so, but R5 is a true little underdog hero, and <laughs> him just made me like so, so very happy. And um, you can attest, my fiance can attest to that. I have, I'm a very big R5 fan. Silla? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was like, <laughs> uh, I think for me, it's seeing Boba Fett's armor, and then mm. who I assume is Boba Fett. The end of that first episode, I had to take a double take and actually text Natalie, going, "Uh, what? Like, what's is that who I think it is?" And she's like, "Yep." <laughs> or I assume that's what Tamura she said. <laughs> yeah, where it's just I have so many questions, and I know, and then you guys could correct me. Lucas intended for Boba to be alive, correct? Like to survive the Sarlacc pit, or that's what know, is implied. There, uh, from what I've heard, um, and this is largely like coming from my fiance, who loved mm. so much passion the extended mm. universe novels that exist for a long time. Mm. Hence, why he is a big fan of Boba Fett mm. and Mandalorian culture. Um, he did survive and go on to do some like really incredible things. From what I gathered, at one point, he actually became like a decent friend of Han's, which is just very like ironic. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's why like there is such a fixation of Boba Fett from the fans that expands what we see from the movies. Cause I know mm. there's also a running joke that like, he seems to be this overhyped mm. individual because we only we, see so much of him. And we, yeah, see we have some friends that believe that for sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and I, I think it is so cool to see the possibility of that being recovered. Mm. Mm -hmm. They're all a lot of avid fans. And so all of the texts, including yours, like that came towards me and my fiance. We're all, like, we're clearly not Lucas Don't Smoke people. We're like, we're 99.999% <laughs> 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 yeah. 
given where we are in the timeline in Star Wars Rebels, we have seen the uh, matured clones of the Clone Wars era age significantly. We see Rex with a beard. So mm -hmm. the, this specific individual that we see at the very end looks mm -hmm. younger than yeah. the average clone. So that's why I'm zoning in that it is most likely Boba Fett, but who knows where the story mm -hmm. could take us. Mm -hmm. um, that was an incredible Easter egg, though. What's yeah. interesting is he's, it doesn't seem that he's left. Like that's what? what's interesting to me. It's just like, he yeah. seems to have stayed like Boba Fett has like all these skills and resources he could leave at any time. Mm. But like what made him stay, you know, what mm. made him not get his armor? <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. feel like it brings so many questions. And I think again, that's the credit to the show of hooking you in kind of like hooking you in that first episode of the first season with like it's a baby yoda why is there a baby yoda here yeah. like what's going on so i think like for somebody that's relatively new to the universe like myself it just gets you like okay what's going on here i want to see more well and that's i hadn't thought about that until you just said that Scylla. but you do right at the end of the first episode in the first season get a they dropped the bomb of baby Yoda. And I hadn't mm -hmm. paralleled that to showing Tamora Morrison at the very end of the mm -hmm. second episode uh, or of the second episode, the first, the second season, first episode. Mm -hmm. um, I was really pleased with his armor that it looked like it had been melted away or the mm -hmm. paint had mm -hmm. been melted away, mm -hmm. um, which I think just for me really fills in that in the Sarlacc, belly and what happens in the the stomach acid and all of that and so mm -hmm. that was a really fun moment um as well as seeing Timur Morrison at the end of the episode but I am with him in the series I am still holding out for old man Rex uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, live action appearance as cheesy as it would be I really want to see live action old man Rex I know I'll cry if I see old man Rex. I really <laughs> very, very pleased. Um, one of the things that I briefly played, uh, but was at an age where I didn't have the, the really the dedication to get into it was uh, Star Wars Galaxies. And I know one of the things that if you manage in the big raid to kill the crate dragon, you get a crate pearl as your mm -hmm. part of your loot, part of your treasure. And so seeing uh, immediately after the first episode and being on online and on Reddit and all of that and realizing that that was a, a niche Easter egg just for the Star Wars Galaxies fans from several years ago uh, was just really cool because that's such a... Mm -hmm. at such a small pocket, I think, of um, Star Wars fandom. But to see... Mm -hmm either John Favreau or uh, uh, Dave Filoni, presumably, put that detail in yeah. just for a moment was was a really cool touch. And again, I yeah. really appreciate that. Um, I think that's the only one that passed me by. I was like, what is, I, I, I did not understand the significance. I it wasn't confused. I was like, oh, the, there's a pearl. Yes, there's, there's a pearl, yeah. I was just assuming, oh, that's really why they wanted the carcass is because they knew there was a pearl inside or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, the, it's cool that they uh, would throw a little nod to Galaxy. Yeah. I, I feel like Mandal so far the Mandalorian and Solo have done the best at um, nodding to a, a bigger universe. And um, mm -hmm. 
Yes. Even even to like old video games and stuff like yeah. uh, Amelia Clark in Solo when she beats up uh, you know one of the guards and the droid says, "Whoa, where did you learn that?" And she said, "Terrace Kasi." You know, which is the oh. Star Wars fighting game on the PlayStation like from way back in the day. Um I yeah, this, that connection. Yeah, uh, so, Solo and The Mandalorian are, are really, really good at doing things like that. And of course, being a big uh, fan of the Disney parks, like I'm starting to see a little bit of that connection to mm -hmm. Galaxy's Edge as well. Uh, the first one being in Solo, where um, Black Spire Outpost is mentioned. And I mm -hmm. remember being so excited because we already knew the name of Black Spire Outpost. And this is about a year and a half, before, about a year before the, par uh, the land opened. And uh, the uh, the ice cream maker is actually in the queue of Rise of the Resistance. Uh, I know that there wasn't much of a chance. Oh, it is. Yeah. I don't know. Um, if I don't think I noticed so that. I know, like we only had about a month and a half of that attraction being <laughs> opened um, on our post, but um, it was pointed out to me. It is in uh, like a cargo stashed area in the queue where you would find the Resistance pilot suit. So and like wow. just like that little. What, what was a little inside joke for fans actually becomes something of like a pretty useful device is pretty yeah. funny. Um, and I could be like over speculating here, but I couldn't help but feel that the costumes being worn in the first episode, the way they were ensemble just largely resembled the way um, cast members dress on Galaxy's Edge, the Batu and mm -hmm. costumes. Right. Um, the accessories, like I hadn't seen such a vivid use of costumes like that. Every time we go to Tatooine, it's very, like, the colors are very dull. The colors are very worn. Um, you can yeah. tell like, people live, like, very hard lives. But there was something about this small town that you could tell they, like, take very good care of their clothes. But I just, I, don't, I couldn't mm. help but feel like there's, um, there's going to be more attempts to connect Galaxy's Edge. And that's something I kind of very hope, selfishly hope for is that we see Black yeah. Spire autos. Um, Me too. I think it's a, gr I remember speculating and hoping that they would film some sort of content before the land opened because it is very mm. hard to film a Disney Park after the fact. There yeah. is an ample opportunity to do that right now in case anybody- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> Like there's a whole full functional set there that would be fantastic to see one day. Mm -hmm. Ample, both ample opportunity to do that now. But I wonder if there has been opportunity to have already done that and sort of just mm. slip it in under everybody's noses <laughs> while everything's kind of shut down. And oh, that would be so awesome. Yeah, I think Batu. Oh, did they mention Batu? <laughs> <laughs> it's in my head and I can't un, un like thinking about that now. Have they mentioned Batu in Mandalorian or anything at all? I don't believe I think, so. I don't yeah. think so. I could be wrong on that, but I feel like I would have fixated on that this whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she would have. True. That's true. <laughs> well, and it's yeah. I think being able to connect it to Black Spire Outpost and Batu would be fantastic. And um, a conversation for another podcast upcoming. Um, but the the what Disney Universal um, are doing with live storytelling or in real life storytelling through Galaxy's Edge, Avengers Campus, and mm -hmm. uh, Wizarding World. 
But I think being able to directly connect it to a show like The Mandalorian would just be spectacular and just up the way that we can we can share and tell stories. So I think that would be really, really mm-hmm. cool. Um, were there any Easter eggs or references that didn't work for you that just sort of felt like, eh, maybe that was a bit much? Uh, for me, it was just the the pearl was a little too deep for me because I okay. never played Star Wars Galaxies, but uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what else. Um, at first, I thought I was ready to be disappointed by the Boba Fett showing up because mm. when when we see him walk in, I was like, oh gosh, here we go. This is where Boba Fett's been the whole time. He takes off the helmet, and there's kind of that moment of oh. <laughs> It's not, and I was ready for it not not to work, but I I really dug what they did with um, that the Marshall character, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know the, the fact that the armor is ill fitting on him, uh, I think is you know also adds to the Mandalorian's um, you know feelings of like you don't deserve this <laughs> armor, mm-hmm. you should take it off. Um, so I, at, at first I was like, oh, that's not going to work, but it ended up working spectacularly. I I'm in the same boat. As soon as he walked in the first time and sort of through the whole, my first whole viewing of the first episode, I was just kind of like unnerved, <laughs> I guess is maybe the best word to yeah. use. And just, I did not like Timothy Oliphant in the, in Boba's armor. And then I mm-hmm. started it up pretty much immediately is later that same day to do a second watch through. And I realized how much I liked that. I didn't like him in the armor Um, Mm -hmm. and just was so immediately impressed with how well they told that story just by how ill fitting the armor was. And it just, it was just so good. And I didn't, it, it took me a whole like watch through and then some, to sort of realize how much I like the way they had done that mm-hmm. by making me not like the way they had done that. <laughs> That's a good point because I immediately knew when I saw him like walk in full armor, um, I was live watching, I was u- using the new like Disney stream feature of mm-hmm. like share watch with a friend. So we're texting each other and like you see him and she's immediately like, is that? And I'm like, no, it's not. Like you could just immediately tell <laughs> no way. It is no that I knew. Um, I saw a running joke on Twitter after the fact that he looks like uh, the guy that just almost finished his armor in time for Comic Con. Like I thought, <laughs> 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 uh, but it, it, it works. It works because he is obviously found the armor to try to like scrap by and protect his town without knowing like its full extent and its use and its um, significance and what it means to Mandalorian culture. Um, mm-hmm. But like Cobb Vance, I, it wasn't until the episode ended that I realized he, the Marshall, he was a huge Easter egg in and it of itself. Um, again, further proof of what a good job the Mandalorian is doing that not only connecting to the films, but the animated shows, but the books. Um, mm. So when this, when the episode ended, my fiance immediately went to um, one singular bookshelf that has all of our Star Wars books. <laughs> He's them all. I have only read a few. Um, and he pulled out a Star Wars Aftermath which is a collection of stories that takes place Mm -hmm. immediately after the um, Battle of Endor. And 
one of them um, is in regards to the Beastmaster in Jabba's palace and him trying to find a new life. And he actually comes across Cobb Vance, um, which is his name. And he is described as wearing the Mandalorian armor. Um, the Beastmaster says it looks eerily similar, but he can't quite put his finger on it. But like, that's mm-hmm. just like, a big hint that like he recognizes he's seen the armor, but doesn't quite piece it together that he's seen Boba Fett and that is his armor. Um, so like Cobb Vance is a previously mentioned character already that only significant, a small portion of fans, which mm-hmm. is my favorite, will have recognized. And um, it's a very short portion of the book. I read like his little story. It's about four pages long. And um, I, I wish I had read that ahead of time because I know I would have been somebody to like have stood up and freaked out and be like, I know who that is. Um, but uh, it was neat to connect him because my fiance originally thought the Mandalorian was going to be about Cobb Vance just because of the mention of the Mandalorian. Mm. Mm. Uh, and when it turned out it wasn't, but then we see this connection, like the satisfaction of just connecting the story was so cool to see on, on his face. It was really fascinating. There, to continue on with just this sort of the things that, um, worked or didn't work with the first episode, I, unlike Natalie, was initially really excited to see R5 and then was kind of like, it kind of didn't work for me beyond like, oh, it's R5. And I I have not read the R5 story, so that Mm -hmm. might change that opinion. But it just felt, that Easter egg to me felt a little too much of a coincidence. especially because there are two Skywalker household droids in the first episode of, or I guess maybe it's the first and then the second episode of Mandalorian. And the other one is a little droid that was working on one of the, uh, I think on one of the moisture evaporators on the Skywalker moisture farm. And it's the little guy with the, like the binocular, the binocular looking head and Mm -hmm. the long skinny body with the treads on the bottom. Um, and so R5 to me just felt like it was a little bit too big of a moment. Um, at least for the, it's his purpose within the narrative of what was happening in the first episode. Too much um, of a wink. Yeah, a little too yeah. big of a wink. Um, it would have, I think it might've been, per, my personal p- uh, perspective on this, I think it might've been a little bit better if it was just that less reference droid that was already there. And then it's a little bit mm-hmm. subtler of a nod. Um, but the other thing that felt like too much of a wink were the specific details of the pod racer speeder bike and <laughs> never have I wanted an object more than a pod racer speeder bike. <laughs> that is the coolest thing in the world. I just wish it had been a different pod racer. Same thing as sort of R5 being mm. too big of a wink. It being whether it's the same engine or a nod to the engine, it just felt a little too much of a, uh, An- hey, look. Anakin, because it's Anakin's engine. Yeah, it's Anakin's right? pod. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, it would have been great if it was like Sebulba's engine or something. Yeah, we, or it's, you know, it's way way huge, though. <laughs> That's true. It is, that is a big thing. Um, much easier to spot though because um a lot of people asked me like hey was that a pot engine and some didn't recognize it immediately as anakin's um Um, they were like oh wow okay but i i have to admit tim i struggle with that one the nostalgia 
in me loves it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's because I found myself loving Star Wars through Phantom Menace because that was the first one Mm -hmm. I watched when it came out as a kid. So I have a huge emotional attachment to the pod races and Mm -hmm. it being Anakin's and hearing the sound effect. Like, I love it. But at the same time, I also struggle with, like, did we need... Like this one, this this particular Mm -hmm. pod. Well, I think for me, it I felt like it didn't hinder the story. Like none of like the ones that might have been like too over the top. I feel like in comparison to like I love Rise of Skywalker, but there are a lot of callbacks and Easter eggs to the point where it's like you're getting hit in the head with it. Um, (laughs) So I, I in comparison, it doesn't it doesn't feel like too much. Again, certain things went over my head, but you know, like I don't feel like it's to the point of like, well, what what the heck was that? Why what are we doing here? You know. So I Mm -hmm. thought I thought it was balanced enough. We'll have to see as the episodes continue what that looks like. But I thought so far it's it's been pretty good job. What did you guys think of the flashback sequence? Because that sequence in itself, I think, is a reference. Um, but I'm, I'm just curious to see what you guys thought of it. Um, I feel like the story was simple enough that we didn't necessarily need to mm. see it. <laughs> but I was fine watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it, it was cool to actually see... Um, you know, when he gets the, when he gets the armor and uses it to take the town back. That part was cool to see. Yes, um, specifically the range finder. Yeah. Looking, that, looking that, at the place mm. to do the targeting was very That, iron, that very Iron Man yes. shot, like, <laughs> kind of I moment. I why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I remember thinking Stella's going to like that part. Like, it's just a very Iron Man-like move. Yeah. Yeah. As you can tell. <laughs> Yes, I see him behind yeah. the universe, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that whole sequence is a reference to, and I am going to get this wrong, and I apologize in advance, um, the second film in the uh, Fistful of Dollars trilogy with Clint Eastwood. Oh. A few dollars where, more. A few dollars more. Um, where at the at, in the beginning of the film, he leaves... Uh, his partner in crime to wander through the desert mm. to with his his bag of money or whatever to if he survives he gets to spend it and then the situation flips in the film um and this, this was sort of the reason i didn't like the flashback again it, the the story felt simple enough that it wasn't needed and so mm. with when my brain linked it to a few dollars more and the whole that whole exchange of sequences it just felt like they were using the flashback to hit another big Western Easter egg reference mm-hmm. where in the first season they did it so well with Sanctuary because that whole episode is oh, yeah. Seven Samurai, Samurai, uh, yeah. Magnificent, Samurai uh, Magnificent Samurai, Magnificent Seven. Seven yeah. um, so to have that one done so well and then this one feel like it was a little just like tossed in there to let it happen was a little hit or miss for me. A few dollars more is pretty deep cut though. Yeah. Not necessarily a, you know, something everybody knows. That's fair. That is, it is a bit more of a niche reference. Um, There are a lot of Western tributes, like the traditional Western film elements, like even in the music alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The score in that episode was very Western-y. 
Yeah. So even, and they, they're not exactly on the nose. So I can see Tim where you're coming from in that. And like, just like mm -hmm. a subtle tribute that can be hit or miss. Yeah. What about episode two? Space spiders. <laughs> what have you that very arachnophobic, like worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of things that uh, like references that didn't work. Yeah. Well, Easter eggs in general at this point, but specifically in the episode that we just got a couple days mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, I I really liked. Um, the it was very much a an aliens a tribute that the yeah. second half of that episode um just even uh, like when the mandalorians trying to shut the doors and you know the alien mm. hands are coming through is very much from aliens and even and how in the flamethrower yeah, oh, the yeah. Flamethrower. and even how yeah. baby yoda kind of like opens up the egg it kind of peels open like like an oh, alien right. egg. Yeah. I was um, waiting for a face hugger just yeah. to be there just to panic. <laughs> the universes are connected. <laughs> um but yeah, I I I liked um when they and they did this in the the first episode too, just kind of a creature callback, which they mm -hmm. had those little scaggy uh creatures that you see for a, a moment in episode 2 with the Tuscan Raiders, those kind of wolf, yeah. scaly wolf things. Um, and in this one is, is the spiders themselves that you see uh, not only in just the concept, it's the concept art of uh, Hoth that Ralph McQuarrie painted, mm -hmm. uh, these giant uh, cone spiders, but they are also very prevalent in the uh, secret base in Rebels. Um, so it was cool to see... Um, you know, a, a creature creature callback to yes. other films and other shows. But um, yeah, it was, it was weird watching a, a Star Wars thing and being like really freaked out and scared, you know, there's, yeah. there's not a lot of that other mm -hmm. than, you know, I mean, you could kind of feel that way maybe in like the dark side cave of Dagobah, um, but there's never, I, can't think of any any moments in Star Wars, you know, where you're like pulling the blanket up to your to your face and going like, oh no. But that was definitely one of those moments. Well, and the, I think the spiders are interesting just from a, a place in Rebels, they're um they're loosely force sensitive or force uh aware at least or influenced. Mm -hmm. Um and it plays a huge narrative arc in, in that series. And so to see them show up on an entirely different planet um, and a planet that I think was hinted to possibly be Ilum mm. um, and the ice caves where Jedi traditionally get their lightsaber crystals, mm. um, I think is interesting. And I wonder if we're going to come back to the ice caves eventually. And Possibly the if they do, if they follow the same kind of pattern that they did in the first season, where it's most of the season was traveling from place to place to place. And then the end of the season was going back to all of those places. Mm. Yeah. Um, we possibly might end up there again. 
Because um, I don't think it's a mistake that they ran into the, they happened to run into those pilots. Yeah. And one of them's one of the pilots we've already seen. It's Dave Filoni. Yeah, Dave Filoni. <laughs> uh, again, uh, from the last season. Um, so I, I'm thinking that they're going to factor in um, because if that's like part of their like patrol area, mm-hmm. they might yes. come back. Um, and can we, on, on the topic of X-Wing pilots, can we talk about the moment that like every person who grew up going to church like jumped <laughs> off the couch for, I almost, I was, I was sitting down, I'd made my morning coffee and I'm sitting there and it's may the force be with you. Yeah. And it comes back and also mm-hmm. with you. And I just yeah. <laughs> my coffee out. Because like the way he the, says it is so oh disingenuous. God. Like it's, it's like, yeah. May the force be with you. <laughs> and they're like, and also oh, with you. With you. Thank you. <laughs> and it's just that this. I just laughed so hard as a Catholic race kid. That was one of the yeah. funniest things. <laughs> because, like, how often have we all made that joke with May the fourth be with you, specifically mm. on May yeah. the fourth? Fourth, yeah. May the fourth be with you and also with you and all of that. And so to make that canon mm-hmm. is just like it's completely useless. As a, <laughs> as a, like a narrative element, there is no point to that, but it was so funny and yeah. so wonderful. Yeah. Um, and just made like, like I say, like almost like an inside joke for Star Wars fans. Canon. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, I, I even loved it in, in that scene as well, when they're, they're following uh, the Razor Crest and they go, Hey, can you switch to channel two for a second? And then like, it, it kind of goes dead. And then the, the S foils go into attack position. Yes, because I I love watching these things with my uh, with my wife because I I have like certain reactions to stuff <laughs> like like in the first episode with the crate dragon uh, and I you know I saw like the it shows the rumbling desert and stuff I was like no are they going to show a crate dragon and she's like what the heck is a crate dragon <laughs> um, and same in in this one when they when they do that I was like uh oh. And she's like, what? And I was like, they're locking S-foils in attack position, baby. <laughs> we're going to see some, we're going to see some chasing. So. Well, and they've, <sighs> I had the same reaction in Force Awakens in the trailer when you yeah. get the X-Wing coming across the lake and then all the, yeah, they all the open. S-foils open. You're like, oh, it's <laughs> going down. Um, oh. And then I think again, in the second episode, you also have another return to the cantina. Um, mm-hmm. And specifically, Sabak being played, um, yes, which just felt like it's that aspect of it in the 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 pub life of Star Wars, just mm-hmm. starting to link together and connect was really really nice. Um, was there anything that you really didn't like in the second episode? I there's a whole felt, lot less to pull from, but yeah, not it, maybe not in regards to like Easter eggs, but. I feel like they kind of treated the whole, the humor aspect of the child, like mm. getting <laughs> and eating. Like, I felt like it was just a tad bit too far. And I'm aware the eggs weren't fertilized. So they're like, mm. and it's just, like yeah. the child is eating the same eggs that we scramble for breakfast ourselves. Yeah. So, <laughs> which I forgot, it. which I forgot immediately, by the way. Like, they even said, yeah, like, but- that they that they haven't been fertilized yet, and as soon as he eats one, I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> but also I, the details of like this is the last of a generation in a line of yeah. people. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, like, it was 
I just felt like it got pushed a little, like just the the humor aspect of the child eating everything. Um, I'm not a parent. Yeah. Have to tune us in soon enough if kids like how kids often kids eat like everything. <laughs> but um, like I felt like it just was a little too on the nose. It was adorable. Yeah. I love seeing it, but it just felt like a little much. Like on top of the stress of everything from crashing into from like the X foils coming out to crashing onto yeah. that. Uh, uh, planet to the space fighters to like leaving the planet with a very broken ship that's like barely going by. Mm-hmm. And you add like this kid eating the eggs mm-hmm. of a possible last generation of the sentient being. It's just, it's just a little <laughs> too much. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's very fair. Yeah. I think that's very fair. <laughs> I, I think I, I have a similar criticism just because I already know that people are getting to that saturation saturation point with baby yoda so it's Mm -hmm. like you don't want to push it too far to the point where people get turned off because they're like oh great another episode that kind of sidetracks to see what baby yoda's doing or what mischief he's getting into so i think it didn't bother me but it can cross that fine line of like well if you keep doing this in every episode people are not going to pay attention to the story as much as like, Oh great. Mm -hmm. Baby Yoda's in it again, you know? Yeah. So it's like Mm -hmm. a fine line. They gotta, they gotta walk. Yeah. It's he's he's definitely a tool you got to use at the right. Yeah. He's, he's an adorable character and a wonderful character, but there's a risk of overusing Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. charm that he has, Mm -hmm. which I think that's why the point of this season is to get him back to where he came from because you can't keep using him. He's going to lose his charm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Looking at all the Easter eggs through the first season, um, through the first couple episodes of the second season, um, and and then just the idea of Easter eggs in any any series. How, um, where does the usage of these sort of land in just fan service, and where does it really build mm-hmm. the narrative that's being told? Yeah, I think that's the difference between kind of, I, I'm not saying like J.J. Abrams did a bad job or anything, but the difference between like J.J. Abrams and like, say, like John Favreau is J.J. Abrams really likes to wink at the audience and go like, remember this mm. thing and remember this and remember that. And it it doesn't really succeed in making the universe feel bigger or service the story in a certain way. And if anything, it kind of makes the universe feel smaller because it's like, yeah, we've seen that before uh, in like the other Skywalker movies. But with things like The Mandalorian will not like full on wink at you in the face. Like they'll kind of subtly have things in the background, like something spray painted on a wall that calls back to an event that happened in Star Wars history or, you know, ju- just creatures, like creatures that you've seen before. Um, and even like, I feel like the, the biggest one is the, is the Boba Fett armor. But that even with that, it's like, if you don't know it's Boba Fett's armor, it's not a big deal. It's mm-hmm. just, you, you see that it's a man with Mandalorian armor and the Mandalorian doesn't like that he has it. It, it doesn't take you away. Like in, mm-hmm. in kind of the later Star Wars movies, it's like, if you don't know, you know you're being winked at and you're just like, I don't get the joke, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, but I think that's where it's too much fan service is when you're really putting it front and center 
uh, as opposed to um, letting it be either like an addition to the story or just something in the background for people that know to kind of enjoy mm-hmm. that it's there. Yeah, it has to be balanced because if you rely on it too much, then people are not interested in getting invested. They just like, well, I missed this many things. Why should I care? And I think, like Nick mentioned, you might not know a reference, but you still understand the overall point of the story. So that's mm-hmm. where it's useful, where, you know, again, I, I like the sequel trilogy, but I could see the critiques of people being like, okay, you're just you're pushing it in my face all the time. How does this help the story? Like mm-hmm. it, it just it feels very shallow to them versus I feel like the Mandalorian doesn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like we're retreading anything in Mandalorian, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even yeah. though we're seeing so many things we've seen yeah. before. Yeah. They're either pushing the story forward or they're just kind of sitting there for people that know to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The crate Dragon is kind of a great example of both. Like mm-hmm. it, you don't have had to have played those games um, but you appreciated the like the creature for the point it had in that story. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they you know you see the the skeleton of a crate dragon in a New Hope. There mm-hmm. it is. Um, <laughs> and it's just, you know it's never really kind of spoken about in the Star Wars movies or even any of the animated shows or anything. Yeah, it's and just sort of, of there. Yeah, and but like so when you watch the the Mandalorian, you don't go, well, nobody ever talked about giant sandworms before. <laughs> like now there's giant sandworms on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, they actually kind of showed you that before. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, here's one that's living. That's something you haven't seen before. Yeah. It's like you said, now it's a very, it's mixed between both. It's something you have seen before, but it's also something you haven't because you've never seen it in action. Well, and it, it I think specifically looking at the crate dragon, the crate dragon just as an element unto itself connects so many different points of the original trilogy to the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. um, where in either in the screenplay or in like the, the audio play of a new hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi mentions that he uses the crate dragon cry. It, oh, it was mm-hmm. a crate dragon's cry that he used to scare off the Tuscans mm. um, and, and adding that sort of depth to that culture that now gets played out and something that we get to see. Um, but also with adding sign language to mm-hmm. the Tuscans and using a um, hearing impaired actor to yeah. be a part of those scenes and to sort of coach everyone in those scenes of how to do that. Right. And just, so those little, the Easter egg specific, like, so I can say specifically the crate dragon just does what you were saying earlier, Nick, of how it just, it doesn't take away from the story, but it really just pours into the world around it and makes that mm-hmm. world feel very, very real. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I things like other- that, that make it this whole thing feel, uh, like a, a universe that's yes a thing that like the to me that the um at least the the later films don't do as much not that the, it was like their responsibility to do this but it, it makes it feel like 
it is like a galaxy far, far away and that there's like billion, you know, thousands of systems out there and tons of different species, um, you know, it, it succeeds in fleshing out those locations. It's not like it's just a desert planet. It's just an ice planet. It's just a, you know, jungle planet. It's like, there's like ecosystems and creatures that live there and with stories of their own um, that I think is really cool. On top of that, it makes it feel like it is an organic universe, like not just mm -hmm. clearly a fantasy, but I know that like George Lucas's intention wasn't to create a futuristic, beautiful, like unobtainable looking universe. He wanted to create a fantasy universe that could feel real mm -hmm. and, I think like even like again the crate dragon like we saw that skeleton and then we see it so even though in in this first episode of this season while it's a near invincible creature we see that it is organic it can die <laughs> like and we mm -hmm. had like earlier um and I think that's why I enjoyed the R5 cameo because it just showed like again these especially on a planet like Tatooine like things aren't very new things are going to be reused recycled and again that just kind of makes the universe not only feel like an entirely different universe that we li don't live in, but an organic, very realistic one. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and on, on that, just the, one of the things that I did really like about R5 was the terrible soldering job <laughs> that had been done oh, yeah. to repair it. And it's just like this, it, it just, that little detail, which just like you, like you said, Natalie, it really is this sort of back end of the universe. Everything is worn and run down to the point that like, if we need to repair a droid, it probably isn't gonna be very pretty. <laughs> and it isn't. Um, yeah, I, I, I love how Mando is using the Easter eggs to develop the world, but I think they also do a really good job of dropping some things in there, specifically in the first season, the Darksaber. And we haven't gotten really to see uh, the empiric remnants in Moff Gideon yet in season two, but knowing that that Darksaber has to play a role um, yeah. coming up and just the foreshadowing in that as an Easter egg, I think is really, really fantastic for the way that they're telling the story of the Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's another one of those things where it's like, if you don't know what the Darksaber is, uh, you know, it's it, it's a unique object. It's a unique lightsaber. Yeah, you've never type seen a black thing. lightsaber before. And it, it must play a role. Like, who is this man, and why does he have this crazy object? Mm -hmm. Which is not far away from how people that know what it is feel. You know, like we know. I know what the dark saber is, but who is he, and why does he have it? You know, so yeah. like you're you're still on the same page as people who know and people who don't know. Do any of you guys have any final thoughts on Easter eggs, things you would maybe like to see based on what we've seen so far? I think I would definitely love to see Black Spire Outpost on Batu. Like I mentioned that earlier. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm gonna echo that. I'm gonna hold on to hope. Um, we did almost get Ronto wraps. We, we saw oh. that. I forgot, I forgot to mention that was a fun Easter egg because I know in Galaxy's Edge, the Ronto Roasters, like, yeah. it's roasted by a pod engine, and we get yeah. that in anger in episode two. And it's not Ronto meat, but um, 
if I see somebody eat like a genuine Ronto wrap on screen, I think that'll be enough of a tribute for me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, I'd like to see some Galaxy's Edge uh, interconnected stuff. Um, I, I, I just want them to keep going at it that the the way that they've been doing it, mm -hmm. and not not fully like making um, some callbacks like uh, front and center, but you know, kind of peripheral. And you know, if they do make it front and center, like do it in like sort of like Boba Fett armor sort of way where it's just, it's something that's going to push the story along. Um, but yeah, I, just, I think they're doing really well the way that they're going about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if you could balance it really well, then I think it it's perfect the way it is. And I can't say anything in particular, but it would be cool to see some Galaxy's Edge connection just because that is such a fun, fun <laughs> land yeah. experience. And uh, yeah, I, I want to see Wookiees. I was going to say Ewoks, but I feel like that's too much. <laughs> oh, Never. Um, Paul Dini, Paul Dini, um, who's a great writer, has written tons of geek stuff, TV shows and things like that. Um, I think he wrote some some Clone Wars, but he mentioned one time he had an idea for an episode of Clone Wars where they had to hire a bounty hunter and they go to a place that's like a, you know, like the Moss Eisley cantina and they're looking for this specific person. They don't know who it is, but they're like an excellent hunter. And like the camera moves through the, the cantina. You're seeing all these like, you know, armored uh, mercenaries, bounty hunters and crazy aliens. And then, like, it parts, and there's just a table, and there's an Ewok sharpening a spear. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's the guy that they're looking for is the Ewok. And I I I think that that should they should definitely have that somewhere, like an Ewok bounty hunter. <laughs> just amazing, like, chilling in the back of the cantina, just with a knife yeah. or a spear. That I, don't be, know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That might go. My that would be <laughs> Nick, Natalie, yeah. Scylla, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for hanging out. Um, everybody, that is it for today's show. Please be sure that you subscribe to this channel for more geek content and hit that bell icon for more notifications. Likes also help. Um, this episode of The Story Geeks will be on our podcast feeds. It is available on our Facebook page and it will be available here on YouTube for time to come. Um, thank you for hanging out. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we will see you all on the next show. Peace out, guys. Bye. Bye. Later. May the force be with you. And also with you. <laughs> <laughs>